and her grandson, uh, Charles Kanzler, who, um, who, who that whole Kanzler family are from Knoxville, Tennessee. So they were educators. He was a, he was a politician uh, right after the Civil War because they were actually, uh, his grandfather was actually free blacks out of Tennessee because their mother was a, 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 a German, uh, her grandfather was a German immigrant. So uh, as a result of that, they were free blacks and they were actually in Tennessee. Um, and when the civil war broke out, they went into Knoxville and they established themselves. Um, they had uh, a school that's named after um, of uh, Charles Kanzler's uh, mother and his father. Um, they were real right. His father was a real right, but they were uh, educators. Uh, Laura Kanzler was his mother's name and her father was a free black as well. And he started the first newspaper called the Colored Tennessean, which later on became the Tennessean. And after, <clears throat> after um, the Civil War, people were putting ads in his paper trying to find um, um, you know, enslaved relatives that they were sold off or moved to different places. So there were a lot of ads in that newspaper at that time uh, so that people could try to find their relatives that had been sold off in slavery. So uh, you can Google Charles Kanzler. I'll put his, put his name in. He wrote a book called The Three Generations, which document the early years of the, <clears throat> of the Kanzler family. Um, there's a YMCA in Knoxville, Tennessee that's named after um, um, the Kanzler family. Uh, there was a school named after the Kanzler family. So, yes, uh, you know, once you start doing the research, I mean, I didn't grow up knowing that, that story. I started doing research that I was able to. My, it's my grandmother's family. And, of course, I'm named after her, Ruth Kanzler. She was a Ruth. And... Um, just in my research is how I actually find that. Just like the story that you're saying that this person came and didn't realize that they had uh, ancestors. Because so my grandmother's father and mother died when she was young, so she never talked about it. But in doing my research, this is what I uncovered. So I encourage you all to do your research and research all the branches in your family because you never know what you're going to find. You, you just didn't know, like it was a cutoff, and you don't realize that there is. Excuse me, Ruth, one moment. 4278, would you please mute, mute your line if you have any background noise because this is being recorded? Please mute your lines. Thank you so much, Ruth. I'm sorry, but that was a distraction. Thank oh, you. Thank you. I don't know. I don't want to go on too long because, you know, I could, I could have this whole uh, session. <laughs> but anyway, that that's, uh, I wanted just to highlight the, the Kanzler family of which I'm a DAR member on that line. Uh, I encourage you to, once things open back up, as I think I mentioned that before about the DAR library, that it has a wealth of information there and it's broken out according to the states and the counties. So it's easy to go to the county that you're, re you're researching or the state that you're researching because it's broken out that way. Um, uh, I found numerous things in there. I didn't know about the burial grounds of my people in, um, in Glade Springs, Virginia. And I was able to find an early book that was written about the first Native American group that came out of there. So I found the name because they changed the name because they couldn't pronounce the name. So um, when things open, or you might be able to go online, I don't know if I'm correct on that, Mercedes, that they're able to, to um, access information on 
online from the DAR library. But Alex Haley did most of his, a lot of his research at DAR. They have a plaque up there that he did a lot of his research there. And you may also find, find that um, they have family genealogy according to prominent families. They're not, maybe not all prominent families, but on the second floor of the library, they it's broken out by families that have done the research. So, I mean, I have, uh, you know, Kansler family, there was tons of information where people had done their family genealogy, slaveholders, and you will find uh, loads of information there. So, you know, continue to search, continue to connect the history with genealogy is so important. That's, thank you. Thank you, Ruth. That was really like interesting. Um, and I didn't know that about Alex Haley in the DAR doing his research. Yeah. Uh, let me just also say, sorry, uh, that they're going to do a piece on Marion Anderson on the 15th on PBS. Oh, nice. So, okay. so um, tune in to, I don't know how, because it's on Channel 13 where I am in Jersey City, but it's um, um, the, I don't know, is it DAR? I'm not sure, but it's Marion Anderson and the connection with DAR. So again, it's on the 15th of February at nine o'clock PBS. Right, next up is uh, Tony. Okay, can you hear me okay? Yes. All right. Um, yeah, I, I guess you want me to talk about my great grandmother? Yes, yes, Maggie. Maggie, okay. A lot of us know the story of Maggie. I'll try to make this brief. My mother's great grandmother um, came, came to this country into Ellis Island um, uh, at, on September. 11th of uh, 1898. She came because she had met my great grandfather, while he, who is a um, Chippewa, full-blooded Chippewa Indian. He was in um, Scotland with a um, with a group of Masons putting in sidewalks when they met, and they fell in love. And he talked to her parents, and he promised it that if he asked her if he uh, sent her a ticket, would she come in, would she marry him and come to the United States? Her parents said it was okay. He sent her the ticket. She got on the boat. And when she got off and he showed up to pick her up, they wouldn't let her go with him. And for two or three days, they tried to talk. They, they um, Jean recently found out that the X on the manifest um, next to her name meant that she was detained. So we, our our um, family lore had always said that grandpa, great grandpa was arrested when he went to pick her up. But the truth of the matter was that she detained him and not to be dissuaded, he went and found, um, found some help. Uh, one of his helpers was T. Thomas Fortune, who a lot of us are, are um, familiar with. And if you're not, please look him up. He's a big part of well, actually, they have a, a T. Thomas Fortune historical houses in Red Bank, um, and there uh, he was a very uh, influent, influencing uh, power um, uh, in uh, newspapers in the eight, late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, so, to make a long, <laughs> to make a long story short, um, he helped. Um, Okay. Hi, I'm sorry. <laughs> if the phone number at uh, 4278, last digits 4278, if you could please mute your line, 
um, because we hear a lot of background noise and it is uh, being live streamed. So if you could please mute your line, 4278. I don't know why. Laptop, phone wants you to download everything. Please, star six to mute your phone. Star six to mute your phone. Thank you. Okay. Um, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. So um, to make to make the long story short, um, they uh, T. Thomas Fortune helped get representation, and um, it took them a few days. And we're trying. Gene is trying to get a hold of the. Um, it should somewhere be the um, the you know yes. the whole the, the minutes from when she from their um, efforts. But anyway, um, they walked out of the building and they went straight into a Presbyterian um, minister's apartment to be married. And they were married for 52 years when grandpa, when great grandpa died in 1950. Grandma died in 1960. I knew her well, we were there every Sunday. <laughs> so um, that's my story. Thank you, Tony. <laughs> um, and then I kind of just wanted to add too, um, you know, I don't have like my smoking gun um, ancestor, if you will, but I do feel, you know, I'm kind of the, the grandchild, if you will, of the great migration is kind of how I see myself. And, um, you know, I have most of my ancestral roots are either in the Carolinas or Mississippi. And, you know, as we know about the Great Migration, we left the Deep South and went to these towns up north, the Midwest, or like out west in LA. And I feel like, you know, my ancestors are part of making some of these cities, you know, what they were and giving it that, you know, putting them on the map um, in history. And, you know, we know the Harlem Renaissance came about. Um, and, and a lot of these cities are known as sort of like, sort of black heartbeats, if you will, black American heartbeats of the North, um, whether it's Detroit, uh, whether maybe it's Oakland, um, you know, Harlem, New York. And so I feel, you know, like that is one way that my, uh, my genealogy marries the, the larger conversation about public history um, and about American history. And so that always excites me. And one of my, I wouldn't say regrets, but I had a, um, a great, great, well, second grand aunt. So you're not really supposed to say great, it's grand. Um, but my second grand aunt, um, you know, she just passed away early last year. Um, and I wanted to talk to her more about like what it was like to hang out in Harlem. You know, um, she was from North Carolina, uh, but she came up to New York in the Bronx area when she was like a young woman. And so I wish that I had been able to like Kind of pick her her brain a little bit more and find out you know like did she ever see um you know cab calloway or somebody or did she go to the cotton club um because that was all part of you know the larger conversation of black music and, and black history and urban development and urban life um so that's like you know my kind of um my big connection if you will to the, the larger conversation about um american history and public history Thank so you, Sharkana. Thank yeah. you so much. Uh, Danya and Brian, um, unless there was someone else, I don't see any hands raised. Um, if there was someone else, you're more than welcome to share. If not, hello. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. Oh, I raised my hand. Um, I'm sorry. It's just really know. quick, but we don't. I don't have to share if we need to start. You're fine. Okay. Um, 
After last month's meeting, um, I think I'm at a point where I keep hitting a wall. So I decided to go back. Um, so I was like four generations back, but now I just decided to go like one generation and like to set a smaller goal because I had people's names, but I didn't have everybody's birth and death dates. So I decided to just focus on my ancestors in Portsmouth, Virginia, and to um, the goal has just been to find an actual birth and death date because that's also like impacting the records that I'm able to find because the census, they kept change. Sometimes they just change their birthdays. So I actually looked on the Portsmouth Public Library webpage and most of my ancestors are buried at the Lincoln Memorial um, Cemetery, which was an African-American cemetery. Wow. And my auntie just passed not too long ago, a couple months ago, and she's buried there. And she always told me her father had a plot. So I'm actually uncovering, I actually was able to uncover probably about 10 ancestors that are buried there, some I didn't even know about. Um, so I'm just working through those records and that was really exciting for me to find that out. Congratulations. And maybe you can put something together to share with us at our next meeting. We would love that. Okay, thank you. Awesome, thank you. Anyone else before we switch over to, okay, I see Sharon Connor. Oh, Sharon Connor, there's not a raising of the hand. I'm sorry, I'm learning. <laughs> We're all working together here. Um, Cheryl is mighty quiet, but Cheryl, can you share, can you take yourself off of mute and just very quickly, uh, Donya and Brian, we're good, right? We're okay with time. If Cheryl, if you could please share about the the, the drawbridge, the toll bridge is one of my the favorites. Could you share, yes, about your ancestor? Sure. Um, and actually, thank you. I, I actually have, um, I guess a couple of ancestors and I'll share more in the future, but my Tollgate ancestor is uh, James Dungey. And James was a free person of color from, uh, well, living in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, coming out of Virginia, obviously. Um, his, I've been able to trace his father back to kind of 1820 uh, in Nashville and those census records um, looks like he was probably born in the late 1700s in Virginia. But James owned a toll gate and a toll gate is exactly the same as what we know it as a toll bridge in order for you to cross his property, you had to pay money in order to get across. So there are many family stories that have been shared um, by him, but he actually uh, owned the toll gate from I think it was in the family from 1860 uh, into the late 1800s, early 1900s when uh, the land was just passed down uh, into the family. But um, he is um, significant in Nashville history. I'm disappointed that the Tollgate House was never uh, maintained as a historical significance for the community. It was actually torn down, but there are a number of other uh, toll gates that came after the Dungey toll gate um, that have a historical marker. So one of the things I'm working with with the family is to create uh, a historical marker on Charlotte P Pike in Nashville to represent the significance of the Dungey toll gate and the Dungey family there in Nashville. There is one other family that is obviously of greater significance in Nashville, and it's a Nelson Walker family. And I've listened to a number of folks. Uh, there's a book on lawmakers uh, across the nation and Nelson is actually identified there. 
uh, his daughter, his son actually married a Dungy. And so there's a huge story about Nelson who owned land that Fisk University is actually on. And his daughter was one of the first four graduates of Fisk University. So uh, I've been having family meetings to be able to document uh, both of those stories and to see what we could do to um, identify the significance of that history in Nashville. Great. Thank you, Cheryl, for that. Um, so I, I don't know if there's anyone else. I didn't see any other hands raised. So Brian Sheffy, Danya Williams, floor is yours. Well, thank you very much. Very, very excited to be here. Hello, everybody. I just had to unmute. <laughs> Trying to make sure we can, you know, you guys are everywhere because the show is live um, on our Genealogy Adventures page and on your Augs New Jersey page. Um, I've also shared it on some other pages for Black History Month because that's what this is about. So, and Brian. I've, I've been seeing people are having, they're looking for a link. Um, so while this is going out live, unfortunately, you had to sign up for this before now. That's, you know, we promoted it quite heavily. So we are actually live, so we can't really help you on that one. So please stay. The only link that I can give is the link to the actual page. That's okay. the link that I've been, because I, I answered that. I, there's no link to the Zoom meeting itself, okay. but there is a link to the page. Mm -hmm. And um, if you are having a problem with it, for those that don't, you know, if you know someone who's having an issue, let me know and I can forward the link to the to the page and then they'll be able to see it. Cool. But please do stay and, um, and watch the video and um, hopefully you'll be as excited as, as we are. So actually what we're really talking about today is genealogists as public historians. I'm just gonna spend a really quick minute kind of explaining what public history and public historians are. So because it's public history, we're still talking about history, um, but instead of maybe academic forms of history, you know, we're not writing journal articles. You know, we're doing things like writing blogs, writing articles, sharing what we found out about our family histories, which so many people have um, started this, this talk with um, this morning. Those were some great stories and some great histories, by the way. And um, thank you so much for sharing those. And that's really important. And it's really important for people, I, I'm gonna call us marginalized communities. We know who owns history. We know who owns American history and kind of how it's been taught and marginalized people's voices. And you can define that however you want, African-American, Spanish-speaking, indigenous Americans, Asian Americans. Our voices aren't readily heard and we kind of have to fight for that space. And what I really love about online and digital is it really democratized history. We finally get a chance in a myriad of forms to kind of talk about our ancestors, um, our ethnic groups and, and kind of how American history has impacted us. Um, and it can take any kind of a form. Uh, again, someone who's done it brilliantly is the, the Slave Dwelling Project. Um, you have a lot of people, especially, uh, I saw one in Williamsburg in Virginia, who's, uh, she calls herself a slavery interpreter. And she was awesome. I mean, she really brought this, she had researched this enslaved woman and really brought her, brought her to life. And, and everything that she was doing as part of her um, kind of li live exhibit. And then you have Mike, uh, people like Michael Twitty, 
uh, the author of the book, The Cooking Gene. You know, he's really researched his, his female ancestors who were largely cooks, enslaved cooks on plantations. And he's really brought that to life. I mean, he does, you know, kit, slave kitchen reenactments. He's written a wonderful book. Um, so I think the, the limits in, in how we tell our stories and how we tell our history and how we tell our people's stories um, is really limited by our imaginations. I mean, I don't know how you feel about that, Donya. Um, I actually feel like, you know, Brian, you and I are connected. So <laughs> we're like lost siblings. We're like siblings who um, was separated at birth. But I actually feel the same way. Um, for me, history and genealogy became like this, this whole other monster because it started teaching me things about myself that I didn't know until I started to do the research. Um, like, I don't know who it was that just said, I think it was Janice that made the comment about her particular uh, background and who she was talking about and how she should have learned something in history, mm -hmm. in her history class about that person. That is, that's the, that's what's missing. That's what's missing in, in history. The fact that we don't learn our portion of the story. And if you don't learn our portion of the story, then you're not getting the whole story. So I feel I feel the same way as, as Brian does when it comes to that. And um, that's why I was really excited when Sher Khan and Janice came to us and said, listen, let's let's talk about how let's talk about this particular genealogy and history and, and, and what's lost, the lost connection of it. So yeah, I'm I'm excited about this. Because I mean, I'm really happy about how external factors had a, had a role to play in shaping our ancestors' lives. Right. So just some quick things, like until I started researching my colonial ancestors, whether they were, they were white or they were enslaved or they were free people of color or they were Native American, I didn't get Bacon's Rebellion. And I didn't, and that's 1664, I believe, sometime around there. Um, but it's Jamestown, Virginia. I didn't understand the impact that that had on the formation of America and, the, and kind of the fate of black people in America. Mm -hmm. And that's like the real definitive point. Um, and to cut, I'm not gonna get into the history of Bacon's Rebellion. It started off as one thing and then it morphed into something completely different. And when it morphed, you had poor whites who were largely indentured servants you had some enslaved people, you had free people of color, and you had Native Americans who all banded together to fight what I would call the kind of white male Protestant patriarchy. They lost. Um, unfortunately, Bacon died of a, he, it was either pneumonia or something like that, but he died prematurely young. There was no one who was like him to kind of keep that coalition of people together. So they lost. And one of the direct results of that was what we call the black codes. So all of a sudden there was all these rules and regulations about what free people could do, the status of enslaved, enslaved Africans. That's when you start getting the mis miscegenation laws coming in. It really had a profound effect on our ancestors. And I could, you know, in doing this research and because I can go so far back in my ancestry, generation after generation, I can see what the fallout from that was. And another quick example would be Nat Turner's Rebellion. 
I didn't understand why so many of my ancestors and ancestral kin were leaving places like Southampton County and Mecklenburg in Virginia, and then going over the border into North Carolina. And then I had people in North Carolina leaving there going to Ohio and Indiana. Well, the result was the black codes that were already harsh became much harsher, especially in that Northern part of North Carolina and the Southern part of Virginia. And that explained it. That told me why so many groups of my family were leaving Virginia and North Carolina, going to Ohio and Indiana. Um, but I wouldn't have understood that unless I really kind of did a lot of reading around kind of, like I said, the, the fallout of, of the Turner Rebellion. Right. And then for me, I think when I started to really start to make sense, between Brian and I, we, we've been researching a total of about 50 years. So um, for me, my research, I didn't start coming into my research until I was like in, in my 20s, in my mid mid to late 20s. And I'm, I was a fairly, you know, good history student while in school and everything, but I always felt like there was not, there was something missing. There was something that just, I, I, I didn't know what it was. I enjoyed history while I was in school, but I felt like always something that was missing. And then when I started to do my research and I started to learn more and I began to learn about um, my particular family out of Edgefield, South Carolina and the, the migration and why they migrated. Those things needed to be put into history books. So the why of migration is really not in history books. They just say, oh yeah, and then black, then, you know, uh, the civil war ended and black people started to migrate. Yeah. What? Again, right. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Again, with our family in South Carolina, we, we really got the taste of it because, you know, Johnny and I were really curious about why so many of them were leaving. And then we started hearing accounts about how they were basically terrorized. Um, I, they weren't called the Ku Klux Klan. Were they the red shirts, Donnie? They were that... the red shirts in Edgefield. At that point, they were the red shirts. Yeah. Right. They were basically terrorizing Black families and Black folks, basically telling them, you've got X hours to get out of Dodge or really horrific consequences are going to happen. So some Adonis people left under the cover of darkness in their car with, you know, those old, really old cars where you could pull the shades down. With pull the shades, the shades down. down. My family pretty much, you know, did exactly the same thing because it wasn't a joke. They didn't take it as a joke. They're like, okay, we have to pack up what we can and we got to get out. And we wouldn't have learned that yeah. until, we, until we started researching. Right. So I, I think what I'll share for my story is, um, well, one of my stories is like, uh, I have, uh, as Janice said, stated, I, do, I did write a book and it's called Comes to the Light. And in the book, there's a story about a man named John Yeldale. John Yeldale was born in the 1800s. By the time he was old enough, you know, he, he became an adult. He was born into slavery around 1860. Um, he became an adult and got into politics. 
Now, it's, it's so funny because when I look at my family, I have an uncle. In, I had two uncles in politics. I have a cousin right now in politics. Never really understood all of those different things. But here we go. Another uncle, another cousin in politics. And he was supporting this particular president and was trying to register Black people to vote. Now, mind you guys, this is 1884. So this is after Reconstruction era, after all of those things, um, after the Civil War ended and right before the Jim Crow laws really kicked into, into gear. And this particular cousin was approached by this man who owned a store and he was like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And um, my cousin said, well, I'm just trying to register people. And he was like, you make it too much noise and you, you know, just anything to fuss or argue or complain about what it was he was doing. Then for some odd, strange reason, this, this white man asked him, did he have a gun? Well, for those that don't know about Edgefield, South Carolina, Edgefield, South Carolina was the Wild West. Even mm -hmm. though it wasn't in the West, it was the Wild West. And my cousin, yes, proudly showed his gun and said, I'm packing. Yes, I am. You know, I got mine. And he looked at him or whatever. And then at that point, my cousin, I guess he kind of, realized what was about to happen and he began to leave well the 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 white owner of the store ended up was also a judge so then he tries to get my cousin arrested and calls up this posse and he had my thankfully my cousin had people to back him and they couldn't do anything about it or whatever the case may be so one thing leads to another and a riot occurs this turns into an entire riot. And right now that riot is called, it just went out my head. What is it called, Brian? Oh, it's not, it's the, um, it's gone out of my head too. Jesus. Not the anyway. Red Summer, right? Huh? Is that the Red Summer? No, no. Uh, this was in Edgefield, South Carolina. So this, oh, okay. particular, this particular riot, Parksville, it was called Park the Parksville riot. Now, I'm going to tell you something, Sher Khan. I saw you were doing some research trying to pull it up. You're not going to pull it up because they do not talk about it. South Carolina as a state does not talk about this. Yeah, the state of South Carolina, they do not talk about this particular riot. The reason why they don't talk about this riot, and this is where my cousin makes his, in my opinion, is just should be in history books, is because... A man was killed, a white man was killed, and they started going after all of these black people, but my cousin got away. He got, even though this was after the Underground Railroad, he got away in Underground Railroad style. So he changed his name, he changed who he was, he changed his look, and he became a preacher in Pennsylvania. And one thing led to another, five years later, they found him. And when they found him, he was arrested off of the pulpit and it became the biggest story in 1889. So big that over 500 articles that I've found so far was written about him. And he was noted in the New York Times as the most talked of colored man in the land. That's the name of the article. Now you can search that, Sher Khan, <laughs> and, and you will find the most talked of colored man in the land. And his name was now the Reverend Elijah Fleming. And there was this huge, huge court case about him. And for around 30 days, he was more famous 
than Frederick Douglass. Now, I let that sink in. He was more famous than Frederick Douglass, but you didn't hear about him. You don't know about him. You didn't learn about him. So these are the things that, that should have been put in history books to understand why those people started leaving. Because while they were looking for him, they were literally torturing his entire family, trying to find him for five years. But these are things that I found out in my research. So this was this had everything to do with that migration, trying to get away, then you know, trying to find their children, trying to find their moms, their dads, their sisters, their brothers, because they were leaving trying to do that. All you hear though, oh, we've migrated on. We're we're moving. We can move now, so we're we're gonna move. No, that's not what happened. And to put John in context, because again, a lot of what Donnie and I experienced, I don't know about anyone else watching this is, why do you guys keep dragging up the past? You keep banging on the past. We're not the same country anymore, blah, blah, blah. We all have probably experienced variations of that. So this is what I'm gonna to do today to put John Yeldell, AKA the Reverend Elijah Fleming into context. What Stacey Abrams and her kind of support community did in the last election in Georgia for voter registration uh -huh. is exactly what John Yeldell did. That's right. The fierce resistance that Stacey Abrams and the personal slanderous statements that were made against her was exactly what John Yeldell experienced. And for what? Getting their community members and family registered to vote. That That's right. Well, you the asked the exact same thing. Brian, you asked the question, you know, when, when or the response to the folks that say, why do you guys keep bringing it up? I put in the chat because it was hidden for so long. It was hidden for so long and you didn't talk about it for so long. So I'm going to talk about it all day, every day. And as much as I want to, we're going to give voice to our ancestors. That's why we keep talking about it. See, that's why we're friends. <laughs> That's why it's, it's interesting to all day, every day, I 365 days a year. Okay, I'm done. Go for it, Sherika. No, I mean, that's what it is. Well, no, it is really true about the oversimplifying of the story of the great migration. And I mean, thank, thank goodness for, um, oh, what is this? The book by, uh, she just wrote Cass, um, The Warmth of Other Sons, you know, really kind of giving layers and, and putting the meat on the bones about the story of the Great Migration, because, you know, like you said, Brian, it's often presented as, you know, oh, they just kind of woke up one day and were like, I think I want to go up north. You know, for a lot of people, they, you know, they were either terrorized or it was economic hardship. There were just no jobs or the jobs were there, but they weren't being hired. Um, and they, they, you know, needed to basically flee for their life. I mean, and I sometimes often wonder about, you know, the, the people who chose to stay and maybe like that's kind of the other side of the conversation. Like, what were they thinking? And, you know, what what was their mindset about staying versus leaving? Um, and, and how did that conversation maybe go, you know, as they watch other family members leave? Um, but it's interesting because I remember on Twitter, like about a year ago around Black History Month, more and more people were starting to ask the question, of why did the family leave? And they started really hearing these like really horrific stories. And many of them were, you know, 
well, so-and-so, you know, a, a white landowner or store owner got kind of out of pocket with my ancestor and my ancestor responded accordingly. And they basically had to flee for their life. And, you know, this was really common. And, you know, I, I was even surprised to hear it because like you said, it's like, it, it's not, it's not talked about and it's always swept under the rug because again, it ends up being this, um, it, the, the magnifying glass comes back on to the system of racism and the system of white supremacy and like, you know, what it has done to people. And it's also a larger conversation about land, right? And land ownership because, <laughs> you know, you have these families that have maybe worked this land or they're from this area. They've got long, you know, uh, uh, deep roots here and now they're uprooted and then they have to start over again somewhere else, you know? And then it becomes, who does the land get passed down to? And so it has all of these like, layered conversations and um all of these like nuances too um that it, you know it's not to say is 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 to wallow in misery but there are um it affects families it does affect families um and it, and it is a conversation that needs to happen because you know people are always kind of wagging their finger a little bit at african americans about like why don't you own land and da, 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 da. but it's like you have to, in order to answer that question, you have to also put it in context. You're like a lot of us had to leave, You're like so we couldn't hold on to the land that we did have, you know. And now there's this reverse migration north back to south, um, and it would be interesting to see, you know, what happens, what happens there. So and there, well, no, and there was no guarantee that a white person would actually sell one of our ancestors' land. There was no. no also, that's that's right, Brian. And then the other thing is, is that you didn't get the opportunity to buy the land because you were black, you know, and or you couldn't keep your land because you had to leave. Another story that's not that wouldn't be in history books, but why migration happened. What's so funny is my mom was sick, and she was in the hospital, and um, it was right when I again right when I was you know really fresh into researching y'all know that feeling when you fresh into researching and every time you find something you want to share it with the world and you want to just go and I you know I was like oh mommy I found something else and she was in the hospital and I wanted to lift her spirits and um so I was letting her know you know talking to her about her family in Edgefield South Carolina and um lo and behold the woman that was in the bed next to her was from Edgefield South Carolina and uh, she was like, she finally just kind of moved her curtain. <laughs> she said, um, you from Edgefield? And my mother said, no, my parents were from Edgefield. She was like, I'm from Edgefield. My family was from Edgefield. And we were like, wow, really? And you know, this was before we dug into the fact that everybody in Edgefield is related. And she, you know, was talking to us and everything. And she said, yeah, we left kind of quick and kind of suddenly. And I was like, really, why? And she proceeded to tell us that she had to leave because some white men came to her house, into, her, into, the, into the house and told her mother to tell her dad that they would be back and they were gonna have their way with her and her daughters, and he was gonna sit there and let that happen. This man lifted up, she went and told him, this man picked up and rolled out immediately. Left land, left everything. They owned that land, Sherrick Khan. You made me remember that story. They owned that land. 
but they left. A lot of their lands were taken from them. Yes. Purchased, bought, because no one was there to pay the taxes or anything like that. But to be able to walk in someone's home and say, oh, let your husband know that when we come back, we're going to have our way with you. And he's going to sit there and let that happen. Just to let you know, but we're giving you a heads up. He packed up and left. She said, we never went back. Mind you, my mom is 81. But when this happened, she might have been in her 70s. And this woman was probably around her age or maybe older. And she had never been back to, to Edgefield Bend since then. So this had to have been a story that happened like 10 years ago. But she had never come back. So again, we're looking at the force. Migration was a forced thing. Yeah. Not something that in most instances, because some people left because they wanted to. But some people, lots of our families were made to move because they didn't like something in one way or another. Well, again, that's the case. I, I didn't know why my Matthew's grandfather left Edgefield to come to DC because his grandfather, who had been born enslaved, his slaveholder was his father, had actually, after um, emancipation, had gotten around 300 acres from his white enslaving family, who he was biologically connected to. So, the, so his land had been in his family for three generations. It went from uh, Lewis to his son John to my grandfather, my great grandfather Effort, and those taxes were being paid every single year. And then mysteriously, 1921-1922, Effort and his whole family are now in D.C. And it wasn't until someone actually relayed a story about the threat that was made against Effort and his family that the penny finally dropped. I'm like, yeah, chances are if someone threatened to lock me and my family in my, in my house and burn it down to the ground with us in it, I'd kind of pack up and leave, and leave too. Yeah. But, but to also, you know, oh, go, go ahead, ahead. Brian. Go, go ahead. Your story, that particular story is the story of Malcolm X. Think mm -hmm. about it. Yeah. Malcolm X family they threatened to burn the house down while the children and family and everybody was in it. And when he was a kid and his father walked out and shot the gun in the air talking about, I'm a man. Y'all can't come for me. I'm a man. But they tried, they, they tried to burn the house down while they were in it. Now, one of the things that I, um, for those that don't follow Genealogy Adventures in our show, we like to talk about what the comments from other people. And there was one up here that Robin Burgess, who's in the group, but not in the um, online on the share post, she said, perhaps there's a better word to capture what happened than migration, which implies choice to me. And she's right. It doesn't, you know, to migrate in, in some opinion, it does imply choices. And we really didn't have a choice and there were lots of our families that didn't have a choice in the matter and then Loretta Bellamy on the online she said I just learned in 18 in 1830s in Montgomery County North Carolina freed slaves were only permitted to stay in the state for 90 days we had no choice that again is a forced oh. migration 
which is uh, actually I'm going to say something. Um, I can't remember who someone was saying asking the questions. Uh, they wondered why people stayed and, and didn't migrate. May have a possible answer for you on that one. Doing research on and these are long-standing free families of color in North Carolina: Walden, Bird, Hathcock, and a missing one, Roberts. So all of a sudden, about 18, in the 1840s, they are uprooting from Northampton County, North Carolina, going to a place called Vigo County in Indiana. And we're talking full extended family groups, roughly about 150 people ago, leaving. And again, this is part of the fallout from, from Matt Turner. All of this, but then it stopped. It, that migration stopped on a dime. And I'm like, what's going on? Well, in the Vigo County archives are copies of letters that they wrote to their family back in North Carolina, telling them, don't come here. It's no better here than what you're facing back in North Carolina. So it's just best, you know, if you're gonna leave, leave. Wow. But don't come here because life isn't gonna be any better for you. Wow. That's like, that's mm -hmm. fascinating. And you see, you have to ask these questions because you're not going to know otherwise. Mm -hmm. It's really, really interesting. And court cases are awesome. Yes. Re again, researching a part of my family in a place called Wythe County, Virginia. Um, again, it's a mixture of enslaved and free people of color. Um, I, came, I was researching on a family member called uh, Melinda, Melinda Chavers. She went by many different surnames. Uh, Chavers was one of them. Cleaver was another. So she was a descendant of enslaved Indians who spent 50 years fighting for their freedom, and which they got. This is where Virginia was pretty nasty. This is the really early, late 1700s, early 1800s. So you figure the ancestral couple are now free all of their children and all of their grandchildren would also be automatically free because the enslavement of Native Americans was deemed to be illegal. So they had been unjustly enslaved. And by this point, they had already started mixing up, having children with um, African descended people. Virginia didn't do that. Each and every one of those, her, of those descendants had to petition the courts to get their freedom. And not all of them knew some of their enslavers kept that information from them. But then we get to Melinda. So she's freed in due course. And Virginia had passed an 1805 law saying that any manumitted enslaved person had a year to leave the state or face re-enslavement. Now you could petition the court to remain, but you would need a white person to act as your kind of guardian you needed a white person to vouch for your character and all that, all that that went with it. You know, and you had to actually argue that leaving would be detrimental. And you know, you're being asked to leave your family behind, the world that you knew behind, that, that was a big endeavor. So with her case, um, you know, it came out, well, she should have never been enslaved anyway, we're gonna turn a blind eye. Um, but I guess Melinda got kind of fed up being in Virginia because towards the end of her life, she and her family picked up and moved and, and they went to Ohio. But I didn't know that. I didn't know that there was an 1805 statute in the Virginia books, basically saying you got a year to leave or you will be re-enslaved. Those were the options. 
Another thing that I wanted to bring that Brian and I talk about all the time and I want to bring out to everybody and I would love to hear both online and from you guys, your thoughts. There's a whole portion of African-Americans that are missing out of history books. And I'm not talking about those that were enslaved. I'm actually talking about the free people of color. We don't talk about them. No, we, we don't. don't. Yeah, we don't discuss them. We don't say Very information. True. You know, we don't share information about them, but they existed and their existence are the reason why we are where we are today. Not everybody is not everybody is a descendant of an enslaved person. Just like, yeah, just like Ruth is a descendant of a DAR, of of an American patriot, somebody else, all of you are not. Everyone is not. Yeah. So, Uh, Puff Daddy, John Combs, um, you know, regardless of how one may feel about him, but, you know, he has made his his mark. He comes from a long line of free people of color in um, Baltimore, Maryland. See? And no one knows that. No one knows that, but instead, you're going to want to claim the enslaved person, but don't want to claim the, the free people of color, or don't want, not necessarily don't want to claim them, but don't want to mention them. But they made a mark, because John Yeldell that I was telling y'all about, his sister married a man who was a descendant of a free woman of color. So that whole line was like that. Go ahead. It frustrates me because free people of color have their own set of challenges. Yeah. Right. They, they weren't enslaved, so they didn't have to deal with that. But I'm specifically thinking of one ancestress. Again, this is the late 1700s in North Carolina. She had children ranging from the ages of 12 to like three, and they were all outside. And she didn't get a notification that white kidnappers were riding through that part of Northampton County, snatching up free people of color, namely children, and then taking them deeper into the South to sell. So there's this horrific account where two thirds of her children were taken. I think it was some, there was six, six of them in all were, were taken. She spent the rest of her life trying to track them down. She got four of them back. She had to uh. sue to get them back. The ones, but she died a pre, in the family it said that she died a premature death because the missing children that she couldn't find had literally broken her heart. She could never get over, she could never get over that. I just wanted to interject here. Someone said that um, in, in honor of Black History Month, but again, we celebrate 365, that it is a miracle that we are all in our right minds from all of the <laughs> stuff that our ancestors survived, that we are living history. The fact that we are still here, that we can function and have overcome so much. So all of it's all of it's important, whether it's, I, you know, the two people that I shared about before, the first, the father, he was born free, but, 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 but why, but why? So he was connected to someone. And so my, my, my focus is that we have to embrace all of the history. I have African, I have Native American, and I have European, and I embrace it all. I want to know, I want to know how do the dots connect? It's all important. 
And uh, Donya made a really good point. Some people want to compartmentalize, but a lot of that has to do with the mental, <laughs> the mental uh, impact, the stress of being enslaved, where I have a friend who she has done her research. She only, and she's, she's black and she classifies herself as black. She only wants to focus on the white part the European part of her ancestry. And I just told her, I said, you have to embrace all of it. You're, I believe personally, our ancestors want us to embrace all of it, all of it. So you can- you, Even you, the you, racist ones. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And you, have to, and you have to tell the stories. And the reason that I'm saying that is you have to understand why a lot of what we're dealing with now, if you study reconstruction, it's the same thing all over again. Brian talked about it, uh, dealing um, with um, Stacey Abrams. Right. And, and so many people that just, oh, go sit down and be quiet somewhere, don't talk about it. No, we're gonna keep talking about it. And there is a great awakening that is happening. I have several young people in my family that have inboxed me and Facebook out of nowhere to say, I want to know about my family history. They weren't interested before, but because of everything that is going on in society now, they feel this, this something in them, in their soul that I need to know, I need to understand who I am, where did I come from? And they're telling me I knew nothing. Now I have 300 and something people on the Facebook page, family from all over the country, but I told them, and I have a picture up, my cover page says, I'm doing it. I have all the little kids that were at the family reunion. And that's the, that's the picture on the page. And the reason is it took me 25 years, close to 25 years to find my family, to find our story, to be able to piece it together. And when we go to those reunions, I let them know it will not take you 25 years. Right. It will not take you that long. So we all have a calling and a responsibility to study his history, the historical context, the times that our family lived in, the things and the challenges that they faced, and then to put it together with where we are now and, and let them know, listen, listen, you can be and do anything you want to. Don't let anybody tell you that you, if you have something in your mind that you want to do or a goal, that you can't do it. You can, but know your history. And so over the summer when we were dealing with um, the Black Lives Matter movement and, and all of these folks that were like, why don't y'all go somewhere and sit down? Well, Black Lives can't matter until Black history matters. All exactly. of it is important. All okay. of it. <laughs> All of it, whether you whether you whether you um, agree with their um, their goals and all of that, Black history is important. But it's a it's a mixed history. I just recently found an ancestor that the research that has been done puts that family back to 1720 out of Canada and into Rhode Island, and it's the Narragansett Indian tribe. No one ever told me about that because nobody knew. Nobody documented and they stopped talking. Remember when we were younger, who are your people? We don't ask that question anymore. I told my cousins in South Carolina, do not get married until you do a DNA test and you come talk to me because most of the family is related and they have no idea. And so I see all of these congratulations, congratulations. I'm like fifth cousins, fourth cousins marrying each other and they have no idea because we stopped telling the story. Right. But so when know, they get their DNA test, it's going to be all over the place. But anyway. But the, but the thing that you, you made another um, um another point of something that's not being taught in school, and that's the reconstructive construction era. Yes. That whole era is not being taught. And the reason why that whole era is not being taught is because that's when we began to shine as, you know, in, in American history. If you really look at... um. At American, at American history and you start to look at 
the progression of African-Americans. 100 schools, HBCUs, were done within that time period. And let's look at the time period of the Reconstruction era. Re Reconstruction era was what, 12 to 15 years? Right. So right. I'm gonna say it again, 100 schools were built within that time period. Right. We yeah. were amazing. We were an amazing group of people. We, we we started to do everything from becoming politicians, doctors, lawyers. We did everything. Yeah. We hit the ground running. We hit the ground more than we, we hit the ground driving. You know what I mean? We were, we were flying. We hit the ground driving. And the thing is, is that if you are someone who was enslaving this same person who you thought was so beneath you that they would never be able to do this. And within the 12 to 15 year period, all of this was happening. Why do you think they start, why do you think the Jim Crow laws happened exactly. and they started pushing us out the way? And they were like, no, nah, I need you to leave. I need you to go. Right. This is not going to work for me, you know? So these are things that need to be taught. The reconstruction era needs to be taught. It does. You're absolutely right. Absolutely. That is very much overlooked. And, uh, but again, it's <laughs> because you can't talk about it also without having to talk about the backlash in Jim Crow. And it like, once again, brings this mirror back to the way the system is set up, you know? And I, I do think that's one of the reasons why they don't really touch reconstruction. It's literally like a paragraph and then they move on. They don't touch reconstruction. It, I'm gonna say this real quick. In my opinion, they don't touch reconstruction because if you touch reconstruction, then you have to literally revisit all of American history. That's my thought. Go ahead, Brian. <laughs> well, cause I actually made Donya choke last week, or it might have even been this week on the phone, because I used the term blacklash, which feeds into what you, what yeah. you were saying previously. That's a good one. And I think, again, that American, American history is really reluctant to talk about, specifically in this case, the, the Black experience, because of the successions of blacklash. Because it's the easy. Because when someone responds, "Well, why haven't your people done X, Y, and Z?" Well, we tried. Look at look at Tulsa. You burnt that down to the ground. Look at yeah. Wood. You burnt that down to the ground. Look yeah. at the Black Bank. You you dismantled those. So I look at the Green Book. Look at the Green right. Book. So in order to kind of teach, you know, and it wouldn't. This people automatically assume it has to be the negative. I mean, unfortunately, our history is, is peppered the negative but there are positive things in there but for i guess non-black americans to understand why our people are kind of experiencing what we're experiencing you gotta tackle those really dark ugly nasty evil chapters of Absolutely. our history and that's what i i don't know what made me came up with that term blacklash but it just kind of popped to my head and i think it's you fitting yeah it's we're drinking your tea and i made you choke you said evil, evil chapter. Look at January 6th. That was an evil chapter. And what was that about? The folks can't handle the fact that the man lost. They can't handle that he lost or that, uh, again, if you don't think that we have an issue in this country in terms of dealing with race and folks not wanting us to make progress, wake up, wake right. up. That is what that was about. Like keep him in, right. do whatever you can to keep him in or disrupt. 
But and, here's and, the then, and then they want to tell us that we didn't see what we saw. <laughs> but, here's the, but here's the other thing about January 6th. And this is the main thing in my, and, well, this is one of the main things to me. Um, you're sitting in here, you're, you're watching, for those that are watching and you're watching the, the, the impeachment trial, the second impeachment trial, and you're, you're listening to everything that they're saying. And then you start to think back as a researcher and you start to look at the things that you are researching and you see that there is a parallel to what it is that they're talking about for, for Black people and, and what it is that we've gone through, but it's just reversed. Now it's them. They're actually going through all of these things when we even told you that this was happening so why are you not listening yeah right you know why why aren't you listening it, it's it's crazy i have somebody on on the thing that said it's a pattern of behavior and and absolutely. it is absolutely it is it is what'd you say Ms. it's okay for the black people it's okay for you all to do that to black people now you're doing this to white people right now it's a whole different story yeah it's a problem now the measuring the measuring scale is different so you start waving back and forth of what is acceptable or we can't let's not look at what happened in the past let's look at what happened just from that that you know you're going to keep changing the needle to right you know but you can't you can't you can't here's my issue if you look at what happened in the past, well, in the past, you swept slavery under the rug, and now we have this whole issue with black and white people. Right. Between right. black and white people, because you decided not to, um, what is the word that I'm looking for? You decided not to acknowledge it and not to, you know, give a what is what is it that they're doing they're you giving can't, it you can't fix what you don't face they don't want to face right. it they don't want to so face they, it so, so they're not going to fix it right. and that's the same thing now i'm like well if it didn't work then what makes y'all think it's going to work now you got republicans who are saying oh let's just sweep it all under the rug he, he's gone he's no longer the president it doesn't matter anymore but it does matter because if you allow him to get away with what it is that he's doing today then somebody else is going to come back and they're going to try to do the same thing and it's going to continue to keep going and keep moving this man opened up the south rising again he right. opened it up right but white supremacists have always behaved like this. Right. And so now they just want to continue to do the same thing, but the whole world is watching. And now it happened for under your watch for your own fellow uh, you know, government people. Right. We have Doris Withers. Doris Withers is on the, and she wanted she had her hand raised to make a comment. Oh, Doris. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Are you still there? I'm still here. I'm visiting. Um, I'm enjoying your conversation. You can see me. Let me see. We need you to speak up a little louder, uh, Doris. Okay, I'll get closer. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Hello, everyone. I'm visiting. I saw this um, advertised in my email, and I said, I have to come and listen to this. Very, very interesting. Uh, the uh, is, is actually the name of my first, no, second cousin. Uh, <laughs> They oh wow! To uh, 
And one of the Yeldells was actually in uh, DC government for a while too. That was that's my uncle. That's your uncle. Yes, ma'am. Well, the, his brother was a um, was in the military. He got to be a lieutenant colonel or something like. Which one? Oh, you talking about my uncle Tommy? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. He married my mother's first cousin. Who? And you can't make this up. <laughs> it's a whole family reunion. <laughs> Which? Wait a minute. My uncle Tommy married, I think, twice. So who? Who are you talking about? First wife, Louise. Louise. Oh my aunt Louise. Louise. Oh Brown. Lord. Landy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. My aunt Louise. Her mother was sister to my grandmother. The name was Hansborough. And wow. Braxton, Louise Braxton, and Louise, Louise Braxton. Yeah, my mom. Yeah, my mother is the the youngest. Uh, there were there were actually there were fourteen of them. Um, one, one was stillborn. Here I am. One was, yeah, uh, uh. one was stillborn, and there were fourteen of them. But my mom is the baby of of them, and my uncle brother. Well, you guys would for those who live in D.C. would know him as Joseph Yeldale. Yeah. And um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then my um his his brother was the one that you're talking about was Thomas Yeldale. Yeah, Tommy. And actually, just to let you know, if you don't know this, and I'm in the process of trying to get in touch with the Smithsonian, they actually have a picture of him and Louise because the what? picture was Yes, ma'am. The picture was taken by the the now famous photographer. Um, God, his name just left me. What a DC photographer? DC with the Gordon Lesson Gordon? Oh, no, no. Uh, uh, I could tell you his name. I know the name. Gordon well. Parks? No. Okay. No, no, no. You'd have to be local to know his name. You have to be local to know his, his name. He was on U Street. Skerlock, 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 Yes, ma'am. There was an entire um. There was an entire uh there was there was an entire what is it called a, a series like photo series yeah, a series dedicated to him at this one of the Smithsonian museums and we we learned that several of the pictures that we have in our own home right now are actually priceless pictures because he was known to take group pictures so here we are again lost connection Right, <laughs> you know, genealogy and history, but he was known to take a lot of group pictures. So I have yeah. a family picture that he took of my grandparents, that he took of my grandparents and their children. Um, then there's another where my mom is like maybe five years old, and it's big old, really huge turkey. It's a Thanksgiving picture, and this huge turkey is sitting right in the midst of it. And then there's a church on Six and P Street Northwest called Springfield yeah. Baptist Church. Yeah. That church was actually um, founded by my grandparents, oh. and the original picture was also taken by Addison Skurlock. So he actually took a picture for my uncle and the negative is sitting in the Smithsonian right now of him Which, and uh, the African-American Smithsonian. Uh, That's what I'm trying to hunt down. Which one? Because originally it was before the African-American Museum was um, done. And oh. the person who was, who was categ categ categorizing his stuff is no longer there. 
So I'm starting from scratch again because I want to get yeah. that neck. Danya, Danya, we have someone on. Her name is um, D, and she says that Joe Yeldell got her into grad school by making just one phone call. D, are you there? Yes, yes. That's we are making connections. Wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, D is my cousin too. We already know we're cousins. <laughs> Really? Yes. Do you know Joyce? Joyce Yeldell? Uh, do you know yes. Joyce Yeldell? You do. Yes, that, that's she's my cousin. I've been trying to get in touch with her, but um actually so have I. And I know where she lives. I was in DC, but that's another conversation. Maybe I'll Yes, ma'am. If you could hit me up time. on the side, I would uh, appreciate yeah, it. Because that's I'll, my I'll, Uncle Tommy's I'll, daughter. I'll, I'll, in chat, I'll send you my email. Okay. I yes, can call Joyce. Joyce and I were like I used to call cousin Louise, mommy Louise. That's how she and I are about the same age, actually the same age. And I've been trying to call jo, jo, uh, Joyce and I haven't been able to get her. Last name is Braxton now, by the way. I mean, oh, okay. Bender, 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 Bender. Bender, yeah, because I believe her son or her, well, I believe a grandson. It might be a grandson. A her grandson. Daughter, her daughter, um, she had, they had one kid, a daughter. And she was yeah. adopted. She was adopted. Um, and well, that's I, what DNA steps into the picture because I'm trying to tell you, I have a bender who is my who is listed as my mom's on DNA. He's listed as like um, a second cousin, but he's too young to be a cousin to my mom because my mom is 81 years old. I see. And I'm he kidding. gave me all of the information talking about, well, yeah, my grandmother's name or my great grandmother's name is Joyce. And I said, yeah, Joyce Yeldale and her father is Thomas Yeldale. Yeah, that's And he, wow. when I told him that, he ran wow. the other way. I haven't heard from him since. Wow. Danya, we have uh, Christopher Cannon that wanted to share. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, I just wanted to say that um, I, uh, I think it was on like Instagram, like by way of Facebook or something like that. But it was a video of this young guy um, interviewing someone like I guess in like his 50s or 60s or something like that. Um, but he was, I guess, if you want to call it like a like a spy, basically, and he like infiltrated um, like neo-Nazi organization groups in like the 80s and 90s and stuff like that. And so he was kind of talking about it, about his experience and like what he learned and um, I guess the point was to, I guess, find ways to disband them. Um, and so he was talking about like their policies and stuff like that. And that they honestly feel that integration has been like an experiment for the country wow. and that it, it hasn't been going well and it doesn't work for them basically. Um, and so he was saying that everything that's been going on now and like within the last couple of years is them trying to say like that this experiment isn't working that we want things not we want things to go back to the way that they were when we were in power because that, that's the only time that things really worked and it just hit me like that I mean yeah that that makes like complete sense that they just feel like this is all an experiment uh -huh. and that it's not working because they wow. you know people of color are are like waking up and realizing that they're realizing their power so right. I just wanted to put that out there. So but I would say Chris, historically that that it's never worked. Right. 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 The only people that that ever worked for were rich, white, Protestant, Anglican. Right. Mm. Because 
there was even divisions amongst white people back then, depending on where you came from. Germans were, were discriminated against. Scandinavians were discriminated because they were the wrong kind of Protestants. Right. Presbyterians were, were discriminated against because they were the wrong kind of Protestants. You know, then you start getting into how Jewish people were treated, you know, as immigrants, even back in the colonial period. So it's never worked. It's only worked for the top tier of the people who wanted to control things. Right. Chris, while you're here, did you want to also speak to um, the, the story you left in the chat? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. So, um, I'm probably gonna like mess some of the story up, but it's a story that my stepmother always told me when I was younger. Um, her, on her father's side, I wanna say it was her great grandmother, I believe. They, her and her husband owned um, like a toll gate or a, a railroad or something like that. I, I wanna it's say- It's like it a theme in your family, toll Yeah, gate. I don't know. <laughs> um, but it was like a, a toll gate or a railroad in Virginia, I believe. and. Um, from what my stepmother told me was that I don't know if she was born enslaved or her parents were, but either way, she didn't really have much of an education um, and she couldn't really read or write. So I guess when a man came, when a white man came by and I don't know how he tried to mask it, that it was it was some sort of document that was going to do whatever for them. But basically, it was like the rights to to all of their property. And because wow. she wasn't educated and couldn't read or write, she, you know, just signed it thinking that he was going to be doing right by her and he's she signed over all the rights to their property to him um and from i haven't asked my stepmother this but i believe that that was part of the reason why they left virginia and came to new jersey wow um, because they they you know had no land and they had to make it away somewhere else so that's really sad yeah, yeah. so probably that, that that definitely points towards what migration was and um we just have to realize that migration was more than just people just moving and leaving and right. looking for something different. And, and it wasn't just about that. But Dee, you have your hand raised. Can you hear me? Yes, yes ma'am. Okay. Donya, I don't think people really appreciate um, the Yeldell line and um, several Yeldells uh, that's why it's very important. I think you need to find out and really trace that Yeldell line quite seriously because Joe Yeldell was really, really tough on a generation of us. So I'm about 20 years your senior. They schooled us. They looked at our report card. They found us government jobs. They called deans of schools. They got us internships with like people like Dorothy Height. People really aren't appreciating that. Joe Yeldell really defined who I was. I can't really explain. He ran half of the District of Columbia government. <laughs> All right, half of the, I was at his um, funeral. And it was interesting that the former uh, Lieutenant Governor of uh, Maryland, we locked eyes because we knew each other. It's like we were schooled, we were programmed. We had to really make it. And this is one thing that Joe Yeldell said. 
when he told me about the land in Edgefield, South Carolina, I am the only girl in 150 years who has managed to be the administrator of our branch of family land in a hundred and that long it has taken me to get control of that. And I'm trying to move back to Edgeville, South Carolina. All right. I must to protect the land and the lineage. We were told about the great migration. We were told at family reunions in Rock Creek Park about how our people were burned out. We were told about how in the square in Edgefield, South Carolina, how people with my same surname, okay, they had dual. We were told this by people who were living. It is absolutely amazing how we don't take heed and who, who we really are. Now, when I said he could make one call to get you into graduate school, I'm really, really serious about this. Mm -hmm. He wow. could go down to Ridge Bank and he guaranteed loans for people to buy their home. It was just absolutely astonishing how brilliant he was, as well as charismatic and handsome. When somebody found out that I was related to a Yeldell, oh, Wow. That, was my, that was my ticket, okay? But he was strict on us. We had to show him our report card. He could call people in the Maryland legislature. That's well, impressive. If, if I can jump in. Yeah. That's impressive. The Yeldell family, not an easy family to research. You would think with that name, they would be. But we're talking because no, Don, Donnie has spent so decades researching. The reason we're you're talking, not gonna, we're you're talking not about people who change their surnames, yes, um, change their complete names, um, yes. And actually, I would actually say they have a special superpower. <laughs> the American <laughs> ever ever needed someone to run his witness protection program because the talent these people have for disappearing of the face of the earth, they need to hire Yeldos. Whole with families would lift up and roll out. <laughs> and that, and that, that's that's not that's not a lie. That's that's literally not a lie. Whole families in researching the Yeldell line, the entire family, you would see them in maybe two census records and then poof, they're gone. Gone. Whole family. And then they would also come to the point where you would have names that were the same, but you would have a black family and a white family. You'd have a mother, a, a, a mother, a father, a son, and a daughter. Their names would be Jean, Jan, Janet, Christy, and, and John on the black side. And you turn around and you have the same exact names of a family like that, same age, same everything. So uh, I, I tend to punish my Yeldell ancestors <laughs> when I'm doing my research. I back off of them because Brian and I, there are days, and I know Loretta getting ready to say something because she's following all here, but there are moments and days where we will sit and just be on the phone and take an entire day 
to try to find something, just determined to find these Yaledales. And what happens? We go in a circle. But John, that's because we, we know who the Yaledales are. Okay. Like, they have two names. They have two names. It's they have like, about seven names, D. No, we know who they are. And the reason they were hidden and protected is because we call them the golden line because they knew who their white benefactor relatives were. They would be killed if they came out and said who they actually were. They got good government jobs. Many of them. Wow. I'm going to say even the white Yeldos. Brian, you and I are close cousins. I need to tell you the story about Edgefield, South Carolina, and my, you know, well, my actually, sister, G, Turner. G, I need, G, I need I'm, to, sure, I'm not sure if this is the right form for that because we really yeah, we, want, to, we want to give other people an opportunity to share. So if there's anyone else that wanted to is, share, please chime in. Lovecraft country. The thing, is, the thing is, is that Brian and I connect on seven different levels, at least yeah. in, in, in South Carolina alone. So we're going to connect to people like Dee and anybody in Edgefield. That's why we believe that all of Edgefield is related. Um, but we can talk to Dee. We talk to Dee all the time. And so we, we know that every now and then we have to like go into what we need to learn, what we need to know. D is a, a, is a wealth of information in her, in her own right. And, um, but as far as, as far as that Yaledale line and getting back on track to what we were talking about, my uncle, when you talk about history and, and genealogy, my uncle was the, was a part of, the DC Council. And if anybody knows about the DC Council, you know that it was set up and created by President Lyndon B. Johnson um, to in order to uh, have a government for DC. Well, my uncle was one of those people that he appointed. So this is why my uncle had such a an impact on so many different people. But again, if you're not local, then you don't know it. And, but yet this is a history. And when Miss Withers was talking about uh, different folks, different people, I can go down the line when we're talking about my Yaledale family. I have another uncle who was actually given a letter by President um, Kennedy before he became president asking him, would you be a part of my, my cabinet? Mind you, this would be the first black person on a presidential cabinet. Wow. But my wow. uncle died before that could happen. But going back even further, now tech, now let's connect the history of it. Who is one of our ancestors? Well, we're related to Preston Brooks. Now who is Preston Brooks? Preston Brooks is the man that beat Charles Sumner on the Senate floor. He was a senator. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. We, we, we connect. So when you look at history and it's connect and how the how it's lost. Then you start to realize, but that's a white person. So why are you connecting yourself to that? Well, I have no choice because look at what my line did. Right. My line went and did the exact same thing. So you cannot 
you cannot keep you cannot, I think it was Janice that said somebody was just focusing on one side. You can't because right. all of those people made you, regardless of whether you liked it or not. Right. All of those people made you. And I, and I want to, as someone who's not from DC and I'm learning about, you know, this aspect of DC history, it also underscores another thing I've, I've kind of come to appreciate, which is the importance of learning local Black history. And right starting in your backyard because there's so much that has happened there and you know there's so many stories to tell um so this uh Yeldell family line is very like you know unique to the DC area um and I also appreciate learning about how you know he he was able to help other African Americans like get ahead and I feel like that's also something that we have kind of lost um particularly with like you know integration um, so that's like really, really fascinating. And, you know, it, it, it goes to this conversation of not just family history, but also like local history. Well, Sherry Connor, um, just to uh, highlight too, the folks, the ladies that we had on um, last two weeks ago or on the 30th for um, that were from South Jersey, um, they spoke about how they're, you know, here it is, they're in this area. I have their book. It's If These Stones Could Talk by Elaine Buck and Beverly Mills. Um, and I think the Smithsonian Magazine and New York Times just did an article on them, but they talked about their experience growing up and then finding out as adults that, wait a minute, my ancestors were here. My ancestors built, they built the community and nobody ever taught them that in school. And um, if you get a chance, look at the NBC. They just did a segment on NBC with Pat Battle. And the one woman said, well, you know, she said the teacher gave her a D because she started challenging him. And so part of all of this conversation today, and we'd love to see more people get involved if you have something you want to share. It's just not the host sharing. It's again, as we started out, it's open to everyone, but it's about correct at this point in our history, correcting the narrative. That's why you have to do the work to tell the right story, to look at the community. I'm giving a presentation on Tuesday about my own town. I live in um, Summit, New Jersey. And it's a predominantly white community. And I didn't know, my husband started telling me about different people uh, and the history that they have. So I started looking at the notables and, and doing all of this work. And I narrowed it down to about 15 people that I'm gonna focus on. There's a church here that has over, I wanna say a thousand members. It's been in the community forever. And a church was started by a black woman. There are two churches here in my town that were started by black women who were, they fought for the right of women to vote. I look at newspapers.com and I find all these articles about them. So you have to do the work. You have to tell the story, you have to document it, and you have to share it. It is not for you just to research and keep it in a box somewhere. It's for you to research and tell the stories and correct the narrative. Because in a lot of the narratives that exist now, we are not included. And it's our responsibility to Right. And you can't wait for somebody else to do it. You have to do it. You have and to the write way the to books. correct and the and the way to correct the narrative is for doing things like this. Exactly. And, and and having conversations like this and being able to share this information. But we also need to be able to want to um surround our children like they did back in the day, like my uncle did with D. And you know, and 
and other people. We need to be able to surround our children and teach them. And when I say our children, I'm not talking about just black. I need people to understand that. I'm so not that person. I love my black people. I love my black families. But in only in the only way for us as Americans to move forward is for us as Americans to share all of the history. The history be because point blank, if if a white child or another child knew that my family did just as much stuff as your family did back then, then they can't look at me and think that they are quote unquote more superior than I am. Because at that point, you didn't do nothing no different. And you know, and told the truth. When you're yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about some of my ancestors who were the first Africans of Virginia. They weren't slaves. They weren't indentured servants, but they weren't slaves either. I think the term that's now being used is they were bonded servants. But you had men who were magistrates. They were so good at being magistrates and helping their other bonded servant buy themselves out of servitude that Virginia closed the door after them saying no more black people can be magistrates. We, we, don't, want right. that. we don't want that anymore. One of the most famous horse breeders in colonial, in colonial Virginia was Anthony Johnson. So yep. he was a successful businessman, horse breeder, all of that's been kind of ignored and wiped out. That's why the work that Rick Murphy is doing and Catherine Knight's doing and other people are doing writing books about these people are so important. You were talking a couple of minutes ago about DC. DC is literally being whitewashed. Um, the black, you know, we're talking Chocolate City and it's been Chocolate yeah. City since <laughs> turf was broken in the colonial period. That history is going. So it's really important for us to, to, doc, you know, to document that history. And I'll give you another example. When I found out that Beacon Hill in Boston one of the most expensive places to live in Boston, these beautiful old kind of really old houses. That was the original black section of Boston. Mm. Well, so uh, was Georgetown. So was Georgetown in DC. Right, Georgetown, Georgetown. was, Georgetown was Yeah, Georgetown was originally black. So you I never mean, know going there now. You never yeah. know going there now. And and not only that. You sit where where there was a oh well it's it's now been torn down but there was a place called Berry Farms in in DC and Berry Farms was is, is what we know as the ghetto but truth be told that was where the first set of African Americans lived and moved and they were prominent Black people it was a farm that was sold to Black people and they and they lived there. And so when they started to tear the, the project down, now all of a sudden everybody wanted to be raised their arms up and everything, but you let them turn it into a project as opposed to fighting it from the beginning as to what it is or where it was or, you know, or anything like that. You let them turn it into a project. Don't wait now. Right. See, I get real, I get real emotional. And, yeah. and fiery about certain things like that because you run your mouth in the background back here. <laughs> Say, oh, you done done all this and you done done, you, you know, you making this happen and you making that happen when in actuality, you need to be out front and doing these things right off the bat. So I'm asking you guys, what is it now as, an, as, a, as a group 
as a genealogical group, what do you do to help uplift your families? Not just like Janice said, it's not black. It's not just for Black History Month for 365 days as a group taking their history and taking it out there into New Jersey. What other things do you do and how do you, who, who do you see it going into the school systems? Tanya, you said something this morning yeah. when we had our conversation about faith without works is dead. So we can talk all day long. We can criticize all day long. But what are you as an individual doing? You may not be able to save every community, but right where you are, what are you doing? With our family, we have family reunions. But when we have those reunions, we give a scholarship. Whatever church we're at that particular Sunday in whatever state, we give a donation towards a scholarship. I do my best to make sure I'm communicating, communicating with young people and saying, listen, are you interested in family history? Do you know, what do you know about, ask a question, you know, get involved with the schools. I've done presentations in schools, offer to do the presentations and listen. And when someone says something that's off, correct them. I had a woman tell me, she was like, well, the civil war really wasn't about slavery. I was like, okay, so let me holler at you for a long, long minute. Which and is by the time area. we were done, by the time we were done, she actually said, thank you, because she really didn't know. She bought into like what's going on now about the big lie. She's been bought into the big lie that's been going on for a long time. So again, everyone else is, you know, I'm chiming in, but everyone else is welcome to share. If you have an experience or like, as Danya asked that question, which is so important, what are you doing to make a difference? What are you doing? Everyone is welcome to share. If you've already spoken though, Let's allow other people to um, speak. I know that Geraldine Fields is on, and Donya, Geraldine Fields, some of her ancestors are actually from Edgefield. I know. She, she does, sent me a message. She's a Gilchrist Brian. I saw that. Right. Yes. Yeah, so, and um, she does She does a lot of uh, community service work and is just very involved and a real blessing to our chapter. But uh, Carol Austin is on. Francis Moore is on. Celestine Hines is on. You all are welcome to share. Please uh, chime. I also do see something in the chat. Uh, Randy uh, had mentioned something. I don't know if she's still on and would like to, um, to chime in, but I see reference to the Quander family, which is from D the DMV area. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know they were the first, I think the first documented um, African uh, family, African-American family in DC. Um, and I guess it sounds like she had an ex-boyfriend that was related to the Quander. So, uh, if she wants to, to share, please feel free. Um, but that's another example of what we're talking about. And then Lakeisha, she's creating a book for her family members to have that, you know, has all of the history information in it. So all of those things are great and, and, and awesome to do. And exactly. Yeah. And I, and, and, it's also helpful to join, you know, like what we're doing now, you know, you join a genealogy group, um, you join a local history group, and from there it allows you to get plugged into other uh, institutions like libraries. So for me personally, I did the presentation last year at the New Jersey State Library on African American cemeteries in New Jersey. And I was able to learn about that because, you know, being plugged in through OGS or whoever, when New Jersey State Library kind of put out the call I was able to like, you know, I got the email and that I took that as an opportunity to learn something new about Jersey. I'm not a Jersey native, um, but I learned a lot. And then it, I also was then able to get the opportunity to share it with, you know, the greater part of the, of the community. So, you know, that's how, that's one way to do it. 
Um, I know the authors of If These Stones Could Talk, they said that they have you know, started kind of a um, business where they develop curriculum around the history of Mercer County and what they've uncovered to teach it in the schools, you know? So where you're able to, whether it's through schools or, or public libraries, museums, or what have you, to share that history, you know, that you've done, the research that you've done. And then also, I think that a lot of African-Americans don't join white genealogy groups. You need to join them. I think that's something that needs to be done. Um, there's one, that I'm actually a part of right now called Geneolo Genealogy Addicts Anonymous. They are a wonderful group of women and men. The, the admins are funny. I love them to death. They're really, really nice, but they, need, they, they want more African-American stories. They want to be able to connect, learn more, and figure it out. That's, that's what they want. So you have, you have all these different, you have some, and I understand because there are some out there that just don't, don't want to help you out and, and don't want to, don't want to help you out. <laughs> but they, you know, you, there, that's definitely, um, yes, Lakeisha, that is a group on Facebook. Um, it's GAA and, and they're just open. They're open. They want, they want to be able to help. Um, we had, I had a person who just sent a message also asking, how can I share? As, as white people, there's a group called Beyond Kin. That Beyond Kin group will allow you to anonymously share any papers that you have that will allow you to go and um, give information, wills, what else, Brian? Uh, um, it allows you to, so basically it's where descendants of enslavers, if they still have family papers that cite enslaved people can anonymously share those records with the, the Beyond Kin community. So people can, can start using those documents to, to research their enslaved ancestors. Um, so, hi, thanks, I'm Carol. I'd like to share. So I, um, this, this um, genealogy group has really inspired me. And so I work at Princeton University as administrator. So we, I'm part of a black group there. And we've had a series um, starting um, for Black History Month called African-American History Hiding in Plain Sight. And so we asked this, uh, I asked the Lost Souls Project to speak. So they spoke on February 4th. So we have a lot of ongoing um, lectures to educate, um, you know, the Princeton community here about um, our history locally and, you know, just generally in the African-American community that is lost and is muted, erased. So we've been doing that. That's awesome. That's excellent. Thank you for yeah. sharing. Uh, one of the other things that when this does end, um, go over the comments because Tierra Doom just stated she created a group called Kinfolk Limbo, which includes both black and white cousins, people and have cousins and have a website to help research with links and help for researchers. So it's always something out there to make this connection better. I mean, I, in my opinion, you can't, you can't leave out one without the other. And Teresa Walters, the name is Beyond Ken, K-I-N. Um, I'll put the link in, in the, in here for you. That's for someone online. So we, you know, we kind of manage it both sides. But that's, you know, 
you need to search out everywhere. I, I know you want to want to find your family as far as African Americans are concerned, but I just don't feel like you can find your family without knowing the other side of it. Yeah. I, that's just my yeah. No, you can't. By doing the research and talking about how history impacted our families, our families, um, it, you know, it gets us talking about it. I'm thinking about it kind of, I've, I, now I'm thinking it's a funny exchange on Twitter. We're again, someone who was white, I'm suspecting a certain ex-president supporter was like, why are you always banging on about the, the bad aspects of American history, blah, blah, blah. If you don't like this country, go back to Africa, to which I pithily responded, this body was made in America. Right. All the way back to New Sweden, New Amsterdam, and Jamestown. If you don't like it, then suck it up, Buttercup. Just scroll on past my Twitter feed, because I'm going to say what I'm going to say. Yeah, I mean, we, we've had so many different times where we, there was this another story in my book about my, um, my two times great grandmother, Martha, and she's the reason why I'm connected to Preston Brooks. Um, Preston Brooks is her brother. So it, it's the story, Brian wrote, when we first started to, to promote the book, Brian came up with this idea of like, writing character stories and basically what he did was he would take the character and write as if they that character was speaking well i'm gonna tell y'all as researchers you all know and understand that our ancestors will haunt us and they will let us know certain things okay well martha took it a step further and she jumped into brian's body and decided to write it for him because when I tell y'all that particular story was as if she was right there and he even knew it himself. He was like, I'm telling you, Nani, I, I, I don't think I wrote that. <laughs> you know, he was like, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But the story caused such a problem on the comes to the light page that we had, it had, it alone had over 35,000 views to it. That's the problem that it had. And um, it just didn't, it, it, it was amazing. And one guy came on and he did exactly what Brian said. Why are you guys discussing this? You weren't a slave. It wasn't you. Well, my response, and, and, and this is to everybody. My response is, well, well, let me ask you, do you talk about your family? He was like, sure, yes, I do. Okay, and does your children, do they know their grand, did they get the opportunity to know their grandparents or their great grandparents? They didn't know their great grandparents. So you talk about them to make sure that they, they are known. Of course I do. And you share their history and you share, you share all of their information and so on and so forth and even further back. Of course I do. Well, why can't I? There were crickets. Right. It's a double standard because yeah. you're asking African-Americans to basically do what you're not doing or to say right. something that you're not giving up. And that's what's like ridiculous because for the same group that's saying like to get over something, I mean, you sure are like in love with this Confederate flag, you know, <laughs> you keep waving everywhere, uh, you know, so how about like, getting over something? Okay. I mean, you first, I guess, if we really want to, you know, kind of take it there. But I think it, it ignores a natural human response and a human desire to 
uh, you know, want to know your family history and want to know like, you know, where your people like came from and where they kind of fit into the larger conversation. So I, you know, I've kind of come to a point where I've, I've mostly ignored those, those criticisms because I know for a fact that those, you know, that, that usually comes from people who are not doing that themselves, you know. And, I say don't ignore them. I say confront them head on, but that's who right. I am. I see. Yeah, I see your point too. I see. Your <laughs> I confront because when I confronted, like, I'm like, when I confronted him, I'm gonna tell you when I confronted him. He later on sent a message to that particular group page, and he apologized. He never thought because he never That's thought right. of it that way. He never thought about the fact that right. this woman is just sharing her family history, and that's it. Unfortunately, it's about slavery, and that's it. Now, mind you, guys, uh, Martha was a breeder so it was touchy to him it hurt him and instead of him doing the part and trying to learn more he was like oh just sweep it under the rug don't nobody care that's not what you're doing now and that's not what he was supposed to do but Gene, you had your hand um raised worse than that he was saying that because donia is martha's direct descendant yep yeah but gene you had your hand raised well excuse me one of the things that i find interesting uh every once in a while i get looking for a relative and then i start coming across tales that don't get told on a regular basis like um the devil's punch bowl mm -hmm. the uh Naya, which is a um, school in new, in new hampshire that got torn down because they took on six black students it, by leaving those things out, white folks have a tendency not to understand how they've been treating us for so long and why it's an issue that we need to raise. And one of the things I'm attempting to do is make sure that my grandson and his friends understand what happened back then so they can, they can understand what is being said to them and the filter that stands between them and the person saying it. Um, I never, when I heard about slavery, it was a, a matter that I came away from it in high school. I came away from, with, came away from it embarrassed, thinking that um, this is how my ancestors were treated. And then when I find out what they went through, my thought was, I'm not the one to be embarrassed. They should right. be embarrassed, and my right. people should be closed. Because I don't know a whole bunch of other people that could go through that much tribulation and come out positive on the other side. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I actually think about something that one of our guests on Genealogy Adventures said, and it's the anti-racist activist, Tim Wise. And this is taking on board everything that we've been talking about and, and histories that people have been sharing. And it hit me like a sucker punch when he said it, that after, when, specifically when the enslaved people were emancipated, if the federal government and the states had stepped up, and treated them like indentured servants coming out of indentured servitude and had given them land and tools. All the things that indentured servants had been given to, to set themselves up in their new lives. So land, maybe animals, some tools, I think like two sets of clothes, that kind of stuff. The chances are we wouldn't, we wouldn't 
be having this conversation and we wouldn't have needed to have this conversation because they would have been given everything that they needed right. to set themselves up. Because uh -huh. the other thing that people don't really, I don't think a lot of people grasp about emancipation. You're talking about people who have been enslaved in some cases for generations. Yeah. Mine in mind. So they wow. didn't know what freedom was. So all of a sudden, one day you're a slave and the next day you're free. There, there was no Freedom 101 course. There was no home economics course. There was, there was, there was none of that, how to, how to pay your taxes and, and all the rest of it. We were literally expected to figure that out for ourselves, literally expected to do that for ourselves. So the fact that so many of our people did is amazing to me. But those words from Tim Wise, they will they will probably haunt me for the rest of my life. What oh my God. Yeah, Tim Wise said a lot of things that were haunting. <laughs> but but true, but but very true. Um Danya, Tim Wise is good for he can communicate to us and he can also com communicate very well to the white community. And he tells the truth. All you gotta do is look him up online. Um to Geraldine Fields, uh, there's someone, the last name is Logan um, on Genealogy Adventures. He believes he's connected to you. Yep. Really? Oh. So he has, I'm yeah. gonna give you his, um, he wants you to con contact him. I'm gonna send you privately his email address. Um, oh. He is my cousin too, just <laughs> he's wow. our cousin too, so yeah. <laughs> Just and Danya, uh, thank you so much for your presentation today. I do want to say that that I'm sitting here overwhelmed. That's why I couldn't speak earlier. But, but I am a descendant of the uh, Gilchrist family out of Edgefield, South Carolina. And I remember when I was young, I would ask my mom, you know, about her, her life in South Carolina in Edgefield they would not, the entire family, they would not talk about that experience. Uh -huh. They would not say why they left South Carolina. And more importantly, they never went back. And in my research, I found out that they left behind cousins, aunts, uncles, and they never talked about them. And, you know, I don't know whatever happened to my grandfather's um, sisters and brothers because my grandmother, well, my grandfather died young. So when my mother and her siblings and my grandmother came to New Jersey, there was really no talk of my grandfather, nor was there any talk about any family members. So, you know, me and my cousins, we grew up not knowing anything about family. And so as I began to do the research, that's how I found out who my grandfather's grandparents were. And what really intrigued me were the names that my grandfather and grandmother gave to their children. They were names that certainly were not names that were prominent in those times, my mom's name was Gladys. My grand, my aunt's name, now listen to this. My aunt's name, and I've never heard anyone name this, and I'm, bear with me, because I'm trying to get through this. My aunt's name was Clotel. And I was on the website, and I was doing some research, and I ran across an article that was in the Smithsonian and it was talking about the slave ship 
that was lost in the in the Alabama in a, a, one of the rivers near Alabama, and the name of the ship was Clotilda. Wow! And I said, I said, oh my God! I'm wondering if my grandmother and and my grandfather named my aunt that after that ship. One of my uncle's names was Cecil Maxi. Who names their child that in 1920-something? I mean, those names were just not prominent at that time. Another well, were they uh, not uncle's name. Were they not prominent in your Black line? Or could it yeah. be that it came from a white family member? Because one of the things that we've noticed in, in the genealogy, in, researching Edgefield, and this is kind of coming off of the subject of what we're talking about, but one, one of the things that we've noticed in, in researching Edgefield is the fact that a lot of our families follow those white names as well. I mean, who names their child Jefferson Yale, Thomas Jefferson Yeldale? That was my uncle. Or Jefferson Davis Yeldale? That was my grandfather. He was named after a white man. Hmm. So, you know, he's named not just any white man, it's the damn Confederate. I mean, it's the, the Confederate president. So, you know, it it goes to it, it goes to saying that you, you have to look at those particular things and um you just never know. But we can definitely talk later about okay. how our connection is. And I did send you uh Phil's connection. Okay, thank you so much. And then we can go from there. Okay. Which may or may not Great, go thank to you. Of American history, where was that a coincidence that they were naming their children names that were in the, 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 the white family, or was there a biological connection? Because in terms of my ancestry on both my parents' sides, I mean, I think I've now have, have over about 200,000 people in my tree. That's thousands, mm -hmm. of, that's thousands of lines. Some of them are Jewish, a lot of them are European, some of them are Native American, but there's a, a heck of a lot of black lines in there. In my enslaved line alone, putting my free people of color to one side, every single enslaved black line ends with a white enslaver fathering children with an enslaved either black or mulatto woman. Yep. Every single one of them. I have. I do not have an entirely black line. That's nope. my. That's my holy grail. I'm still looking yep. for a purely black line. Don't have one. So that's thousands upon thousands of enslaved lines, all going back to a white enslaver having children with an enslaved woman. And that's all the more reason why we need to continue to share this particular history, not just with our black children, but our white children, because we end up being connected to them anyway. And, and and those and that that type of information needs to be put out there. I mean, how how this is why so many of us got angry at Ancestry for taking away those six to eight CMs. Because I don't know about y'all, but I got mad. I, I was livid, and and they knew I was livid, and I let them know I was livid. You know, but taking away that stuff now, I think Brian did a. Uh, did a did a presentation with you guys before, but I don't remember if Moses was mentioned in it. Was it? I think so. Or if I did, if I did, it was very brief. He did a segment on uh, Block Talk Radio. I know with uh, Bernice Bennett, she's actually on today as well. So yeah, I just saw her get on. Um, yeah, well, Moses Williams is both of 
both of our, and more than likely Geraldine's and definitely these, anybody else who lives and who got family in Edgefield, you're probably going to go back to him. And mm -hmm. I say that like that because the man had 45 children, 40 yeah. girls, five boys. Ooh. Okay. Wow. So <laughs> that right. is a huge connection of one of, of, of reason why Edgefield is so intertwined because of how, how many kids he had and so far with the con with the work that Brian and Hamad and Loretta and I and Sharon and even the late Sheila Hightower Allen had done we you know all so far I think it's been like 25 kids that we found so far so far all children were born in slavery including him he was born before the American Revolution and what's his born more Moses. Moses. Yeah, he yeah catch that. Moses. <laughs> he ended up being about he ended up being 115. And that's when not he died. and that's not I don't remember when I was born. That was he was 115 years old. Yeah. He was so born. he was born in 1769 and had 45, 40 girls, five boys with two women. One so, woman had 22, the other one had 23. Wow. And he's a good example of what we were just talking about because his father was his enslaver. His mother, his mother, this is the mad bit. His mother was his enslaver's enslaved sister-in-law. So his father married this woman who, um, Ursula Henderson, who had an enslaved half sister that her husband slept with and fathered children by. Wow. Moses's two wives were both mulatto, and I we're not. I'm still trying to figure out who Miss Haygood's father was, but she was biologically a Haygood. She had white Haygood ancestry. And Mariah Stallworth, his second wife, was also mulatto, um, and it looks as though she, her father was a Stallworth, and it just it's yeah. just over and over it just repeats over and over it's a, and over. It's, a, it's a repetitive thing and then because my mom is a, is a we were able to look at my mom first of all i started laughing because loretta brian she just put up there because she she's <laughs> like don't tell nobody because <laughs> y'all just don't get it that that whole research is is crazy but um my mom when we look at how the line goes that particular line, I actually connect to both of the women. Both of his two wives are my grandparents, are my grandmothers, because of how many children, how many daughters he had. Okay. So you have one that had children with somebody else in my line, a direct ancestor in my line, another who had children, another, you know, it's most, so far we have Moses, Martha, he had a son named Moses, and I'm a descendant of Moses Jr. And then you got Martha Ann, and it's another woman that connects. One is on my grandfather's side. One is on my grandmother's side. So guess what? My grandparents are related. Yeah. Now, this is where it gets crazy because, as you said, he had 45 kids. All of, the, all of his discovered known children had double-digit kids. And some yep. of their kids had double-digit kids. So just using the just using the number 10, 45 kids, say each one of those had 10 kids. That's 450. Say those kids had 10 kids. That's 4,500 people in one 
county going back to one person. Yeah. I connected with someone on uh, social media who turned out, I think she's from Edgefield, South Carolina. So now I'm, I'm going to ask her about um, this connection because that's pretty interesting. A lot of people don't know about Moses and a lot of people don't um, do the research on Williams because Williams is such a common name. But, Tanya, but we you know were actually, they, you know what we they, were actually able to find more information on Moses Williams than me and Brian do on the Yaledales. That's just something just to, just. But for anybody that has a tree, go to Ancestry.com, if you're on Ancestry rather, and look at your DNA matches if you're taking their tests and go in where you can look up folks and type in Yeldale. More than likely, mm-hmm. they're going to show up. Don't I, do I, that, James. <laughs> you don't need any more people? Don't do that. <laughs> oh, but Randy, Moses' surname was Williams. 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 Yeah. Don't, don't do that, Janice. I, I, him. I already did it and I already told you and it was there. <laughs> I, I, I also, I like Dee's comment here. She says genealogy is more than an attempt to validate who you are, you know, in the eyes for validation's sake. Brian is correct about having the courage to confront your past. And I really do, I like that quote. And it's, it's very true, you know, it is more than just making yourself feel whatever it is you want to feel. It's, it's really about getting to the truth of the matter, you know? And Christopher, yeah. Sally Hemings, yes, she was Thomas Jefferson's enslaved sister-in-law that's that's another part of my family that's my dad's family so Danya and brian i kind of think that we may later in the year have to do a part two to this the feedback has been phenomenal um exceeded our expectations um for the folks that are on i think do we cover most of the comments um let's see hold on one second but i think people are really hungry about this topic I think it was a brilliant topic that you guys came up with. And like I said, Don yeah. and so enthusiastic to, to be part yeah. of it. We did it together. We called you guys and you said yes. And and then we started uh, putting the, the titles out there about what you know what we wanted the subject matter to cover. And this has been excellent the, from the feedback to um, questions to comments. Um, the part that stands out for me are the folks that are um, connecting today. And yes. there are a lot of folks that are connecting to uh, Geraldine Fields. Um, Dee has, has offered- no idea. Your <laughs> oh cousin Dee has offered to uh, chat with you, Geraldine, as well. She wants yes. to do some connections. And um, yes. I just love the genealogy. I love what uh, Danya and Brian are doing with Genealogy Adventures. Um, from the day I found out about it, fell in love with it and started posting and telling other folks about it. You all are doing an amazing job. And so with that, we thank we thank you so, so much. We appreciate yes, it. And, yes. and it just turned out, Sherrod and I, we're all going to stay on at the end, but wow. The New York folks, they hung in there as long, New York members, they hung in there as long as they could. And they were like, oh man, we got to go. So nobody <laughs> wanted to leave. And even with us now, I you know, reached out to Sherrod to say, okay, so we're all having a great time here. We just wanna make sure we're not missing anyone else. If anyone else, especially from the Ox, New Jersey chapter, if you all wanted to share, please uh, chime in before we close out. And uh, I think that we're gonna select another topic and go back to Donya and Brian and come back with a part two. Who knows, maybe we can collaborate Mm -hmm. on something that's ongoing because this discussion has been, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. As uh, Geraldine Fields said, I'm overwhelmed. I know this is not a church, but some of y'all with your comments took us to church. Um, mm-hmm. We've been enlightened. 
And we, through all of the feedback that we've received today, we definitely know, no doubt here, there is a connection between history and genealogy. Um, anyone else that wanted to share that didn't get an opportunity to speak, please chime in before we close out. We don't want to miss anyone. Um, there were quite a few folks on here. Hold on one well, I, um, before you do that, I just wanted to let our followers know, thank you so much for um, coming in on the Genealogy Adventures page. And thank you, Janice and Sherkana, for coming to Brian and I about this particular comment, this topic. This topic was awesome. Um, so I wanted, you know, just wanted to let everybody know that thank you and we appreciate it. And we're always open to talk about this. It's awesome. Thank you, uh, Brian. We'd love to hear from you to close out and share Kana. Ditto to those comments. You guys know that we, you know, we're we're big fans and lovers of of Augs and the work that you guys do, which is which is impressive. Um, I'm just glad that people were enthusiastic about this topic because I did I really didn't know what the reception was going to be. So really pleased that people got very positive take takeaways from it. And um, other than that, just wishing everyone just a, a really thoroughly enjoyable weekend. Yes, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Danya. Thank you, Brian. Um, you know, this has been such a great experience. I'm glad we, you know, collaborated. You know, we'll definitely do this again. Um, and I think it also speaks to the importance of why family reunions have been such a big deal in the African-American community because, you know, the discussion of loss connections, you know, by force or by choice, but many times by force, you know, has encouraged us to come back again where we, you know, can connect. And so this felt like a digital, turned into like a digital family reunion. Um, and so I'm gonna, I'm gonna play the OJs in the background just to kind of take <laughs> it out. <laughs> and um, if anybody's interested in joining um, OGS, um, you know, we'll put a link in the chat um, for anyone who would like to become a member. And if anyone else has something they would like to add, we got a little OJs playing in the back. I don't know if you can hear some of it. And I'll, and I'll put that same um, link in the comments as well so that people will know about joining your, your the New Jersey chapter if they're in there. Because I haven't closed it out just yet, but I'm about to. <laughs> there are a couple of folks that have actually said they wanted to join our chapter. So we're excited about that. That's awesome. We would love to have you. Love to have so could you guys just say bye to everybody on um, online? Bye. <laughs> bye, everybody. Bye. bye. We All right.